Hey, I heard the, uh, all the pitter-patter of the ice pellets this morning, and I thought, man, no one's going to show up today. This is going to be a deterrent, and then here we are. I'm just, you know, I just want to say thank you. I, I don't know if you realize how much this does, not only for our collective worship, but even for my little pastor's heart to see you today, even though it's not optimal conditions. I'm just, I'm really thankful for you, so we're grateful for that. Hey, uh, it is Christmas time. It is an exciting time. You do realize that there's two special things that we're doing as a missions emphasis here, um, and it's to help children, and one is a foreign emphasis, and then one is a local emphasis. We have Emmanuel's Child, um, the Christmas stars that we're purchasing in the back for $25, and basically that, that helps to put money in our Russian pastor's hands to purchase Christmas presents for orphan children and uh, local children to their ministries in Russia. So that's a really special opportunity for us to be a part of. And then there is the deck, the dresser. You may still sign the back of the dressers if you desire. And then over the next uh, three weeks, we will be bringing in gifts. There are handouts at each dresser where you can bring in items to be able to encourage women who are making a decision to choose life, we want to get them off on the right start. We want, to, we want to be able to set them up with a dresser, with clothes, with diapers, with wipes, with gift cards, everything they need to know that we're behind them and we love them. And uh, we're partnering with the Pregnancy Care Center, Traverse City, to do that. So do know those things. Those are very special things that we're doing uh, this month. Here's another special thing we're doing this month. And it's on December 16th at 9 a.m. We are having an all-church gathering here in the Fellowship Hall at 9 a.m. And, and I know some, some people here are more accustomed where they just come at 10.30. I want, I want to encourage you um, to come at 9 if you can. I, I know you say, wow, pastor, that's really late. Late in the, or early. It's really early. 9 a.m. Well, I know you got up at 4 to go Black Friday shopping. You can't fool me. You can be here at 9 a.m. And we'll have coffee for you just to wake you up. But we are going to be talking about, um, we're going to be very open and transparent about our process for searching for a new a worship pastor here at East Bay. And we want you to understand where we are in the process, what's going on, what's driving some of our opportunity for selection and and this will be a, a very open opportunity for all of us there's no big hidden secrets we're just going to lay it right out there in fact in your worship folder you see that we've developed a search team that is helping us to look and we already actually have an ad online that is active we have some things on our website that are active that you can see we have started the process we're getting the word out now i know if you ask anyone, what's the most sensitive subject in the church? And what is it? Music. Yes, you get an A class. It is music. And I remember when, um, in talking with Pastor Ryan, and he knew that God was leading him to step away, I remember turning to my wife that evening, and I said, Honey, I think our honeymoon at East Bay may be coming to a close. It's been fun being on the beach together and holding hands and saying nice things. And this is just a sensitive subject. And I am praying, folks, and I hope you are too, we, we want unity as we go through this together. We don't want this to be a divisive issue and a divisive subject. 
There, there is no way, and I learned this about five minutes into all of this, there's no way we will be able to please everyone. It's just not going to happen. But our goal is not necessarily to please everyone, is it? We want God to be pleased. We want to be all about his mission of more and better disciples. So on the 16th, we're going to be wide open. Here's where we're at. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And, and we would love for even some participation from you folks. We'll probably get some text message questions going, and we'll see what we can do with all that. So that is on the 16th, 9 a.m. I hope you will be there for this very important meeting together. Okay, here we go. Grab your worship folder, the East Bay Weekly. Pull that thing out. Flip it over. It's our study guide. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, 1988, that was a great year, wasn't it? Some of you don't even know the 1980s. 88 was a great year. America spent approximately for Christmas $183 billion on Christmas 30 years ago. It is estimated this year spending on Christmas will be closer to $600 billion, people, in America alone. Now, I'm going to give you the stats. 30 years ago, the stats on Christmas were that Americans used 28.5 million rolls and sheets of wrapping paper. 16.8 million packages of tags and bows. 372.4 million greeting cards. And 35.2 million Christmas trees, live Christmas. Can you imagine that? That's 30 years ago. And imagine what the stats are right now on Christmas. And in fact, what I affectionately like to call Black and Blue Friday, we're seeing this thing is just magnifying because now it has leached over to Thursday. In fact, there was, I don't know if you saw, there's even a commercial on TV. There's this family, and they're sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table, and they're talking about, oh, what are you thankful for? And this one woman stands up, I'm thankful that there's sales at this store on Thursday. And whoop, out the door she went. It's leached over into Thursday, and there's, there's Thursday shopping. Now there's Black Friday. And then there's Small Town Saturday. And then there's Cyber Monday. And if you've done all four of those days, there's I'm Broke Tuesday. It just keeps adding up and adding up and adding up. And imagine having your birthday party and no one brings you a gift. But rather, everyone comes expecting a gift. Now, just think about what kind of crazy situation is that where everyone comes to your birthday party focused on themselves rather than the one for whom the party is thrown. What kind of birthday party is it where everyone expects something for them and brings nothing for the one with the birthday? It's Christmas. It's the time of Jesus' birthday when we celebrate him and we have a party for him. I mean, it's even in the name Christmas, Christ. And we work and we fuss to make sure everyone on the guest list of the party gets a meaningful gift, something that will make them smile. And Jesus, the whole holiday is about him. What does he get? 
you sense the dilemma with me here? What does Jesus get for his birthday? Well, last week we talked about curbing the extremes of Christmas and, and it's sacrificing more, spending less. Spending less, sacrificing more. And I don't know what sacrifice is for you. I just know that sacrifice means I'm going to lose something. I'm going to give up something. I may feel some discomfort. And we talked about sacrificing a gift last week. And with that money, take on someone this Christmas. Give up a gift of your own. Just don't even buy it. Spend less. And then with that sacrifice, think of maybe taking on a family. Think of maybe taking on a single mom or an orphan child, whatever may be. Maybe a part of your sacrifice is giving up a holiday tradition. It's been this way for all of these years, and we're going to give it up and have these people over and change all of that to help them. And I know that it may take away some of what you enjoy or what you're comfortable with. Exactly. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us at Christmas. He gave up and he came for us. Sacrifice isn't always in the lingo of church. And think about this. I read this poem recently. It's, um, it makes me uncomfortable. It says, I went into church and sat on the velvet pew. I watched as the sun came shining through the stained glass windows. The minister dressed in a velvet robe opened the golden gilded Bible, marked it with a silk bookmark, and quoted, If any man will be my disciple, said Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, sell what he has, give it to the poor, and follow me. And then he prayed, and they all, in their finest clothes, drove away in their nice cars back to their beautiful home. makes me uncomfortable to hear that. And if we want Christmas to have an impact like it did the first Christmas, what made the first Christmas have an impact was sacrifice. And we need to continue to think about that as we move into this Christmas season. So grab your, your study guide on your East Bay Weekly. Grab your copy of the scriptures. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to work through maybe what is a familiar story to most. Um, even if you haven't read it in the text, you've seen it. You've seen it on TV. You've seen it in the Peanuts Christmas story. You have seen it all over this place, the, the, the account of Luke in chapter 2. And while you turn there, I want to bring up a gift that every one of us should give at Christmas. What's our gift to Jesus? Here's the beauty. We can all bring the same gift and it's not an embarrassment at the party. And one gift that we need to think about bringing him is a gift of worship. All of us give the gift of worship. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. I'm not sure what goes through your mind whenever you think of worship. And these are a couple blanks that you may have on your, um, on your East Bay Weekly Worship comes from a word that references the act of bowing. And of course, when, when we bow to another, we are showing I am in a lower position and the person I am bowing to is in a higher position. So it's a, 
It's an act or a position of reverence, of respect, of esteem, of value. And so when we talk about the word worship, it, the word specifically means to ascribe, these are blanks you have, to ascribe worth or value. To ascribe worth or value. And some people have taken the word worship and they have actually termed it worthship. Because I'm demonstrating that something is of greater worth, of greater value than myself. I am elevating it, and true worship doesn't come merely from mouthing words or singing songs. True worship starts much deeper. True worship comes as we believe, as we embrace, as we experience the value and great worth of God. True worship comes as we marvel at God's awesome character and nature, and that overflows into an awe and into singing and to, into sharing and into living and into praising. That's when worship really happens. So here we are in the very first Christmas account. And here's the beauty of this. Worship happened all the way through this Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to break it to you right up front. And there was no singing. Worship oftentimes in churches is associated with singing. And I, we may have created the problem because this is our worship service. And this is a house of worship. And so oftentimes people think, oh, that's the singing. Worship is singing. And the reality is the very first Christmas account, tons of worship happened and no singing. And I know some people are saying, well, hold on a moment. Wasn't there some singing in there? I'm going to answer that for you in just, a, in just a few moments. We'll answer that one together. We'll talk about it together. First, I want, to, I want to see some people that were worshiping in this Luke chapter 2 experience. Who worshiped that first Christmas? How did they worship? How did they ascribe worth and value to God through this very first Christmas account? So you're there in Luke chapter 2. I think we're going to start right near verse 10. And here's what's happened the baby Jesus was born, and let's just quiz you, what town was he born in? Bethlehem, very good. And he was born in a stall, in a some sort, it may have been a cave, but there was some sort of place where he was born with cattle and other um, animals around. If you wonder which animals they are, just consult your nativity that you put on the mantle, and you will know exactly which ones they are. And so that was all happening in town. Now, outside of town, something else was happening, and it was night. It was probably one of the most boring jobs in all of the world. There are these shepherds, and they are watching sheep at night. One word, boring absolutely boring and they went from boring to absolutely being terrified in a nanosecond and here's how it happened this is really cool verse 10 of luke chapter 2 the angels showed up so look at verse 8 might as well start there there were shepherds living out in the field nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel of the lord appeared to them the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So let's work through a few of the people here that are involved in the narrative. Who worshipped that first Christmas? How did they worship? How did they ascribe worth or value? So here's number one. We're just going to move through these quick, and then we're going to talk about how do we worship, folks. What are gifts of worship that we can give Jesus this Christmas season? So here we go. Number one, who worshipped? How did they worship? Number one, the angels worshipped. The angels worshipped. There's a few words that show the how they did and how they showed value and worth to God. They said, I bring you good news. And so here they're elevating the whole account, the significance. This is good. It will bring joy to everyone. And so here the value of Christ's coming, they express the magnitude of the message they were conveying. And then it mentions that they gave glory to God, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. All the credit went to him. There was nothing about the angels. There was nothing even about Joseph and Mary. There was nothing about the inn that they couldn't be. There was nothing about anything else. They said, you know what? All glory to God who is in the highest. All credit goes to him. The angels worshiped. Number two, the shepherds worshiped. Some people here are saying, wow, he is moving quickly. Don't get your hopes up, people. The shepherds worshiped. This is really neat because here the angels are ascribing the worth and value of God. They're showing that this message is of great significance. They're giving him credit. And then the shepherds who were receiving this, they showed some elements of worship and here starting in verse 15 notice what happened i'm going to give you 15 through 18 then i want to show you verse 20 when the angels left them that's the shepherds and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to bethlehem let's see this thing that's happened which the lord has told us about so check this out verse 16 so they hurried they found mary joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger and when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Check out verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So here the shepherds worship. And this is really neat because here there's a few elements to their worship. Number one, they hurried. And you wouldn't necessarily think how it is hurrying an act of worship, well, it shows anticipation. It shows excitement. It, 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 it gives this element that they were virtually uncontainable. Let's go, let's go, let's get moving. It's exactly the same feeling you get in coming to church on Sunday morning. Let's get out of here. Come on. This is going to be great. And, and pedal to the metal, they were moving. 
There's a few other mentions of worship. Not only did they have this anticipation, this passion, but they spread the word. It, it's not just about me and I got there. Wasn't that great? And then they left. They're like, you've got to hear this, people. You will never, ever believe what just happened to us out in the field. This was incredible. And then we went into town, and guess what else? It was just as the angels said. It's spectacular. Everyone was amazed. They showed it on their face. They, they had passion and excitement. And then when they were going back home, they had their little own worship service. I don't know what it looked like, but it says that they were glorifying God. They were praising God. They just were overwhelmed with everything God had done, and they just elevated all of their excitement and passion upward to him. Here's number three. A little different twist. Verse, three, or verse 19 shows our third person of worship here this morning, and it's Mary. All this has happened, all she knew is she's in a place that's not her town. She's in Bethlehem because there's this census. She needs to have this baby, and there's no available room. They're basically in a place where cattle are kept. She gives birth and puts her baby in a, in a feeding trough. And she's thinking, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and no one knows what's going on. Well, guess what happens? Out of nowhere, in come these shepherds that say angels told them, and they start telling everyone around what's going on, and all of these thoughts are just coming to her head, like, really? And her element of worship, check this out in verse 19, was internal. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It was introspective. She was, we would say, drinking from the fire hose. There's just all of this stuff happening. Like, what? And, and she just internalized it and she thought about it. Like, really? She meditated on it. There was this meaningfulness that was going on inside. She was contemplating the special significance, the, the thoughts of God in flesh being in front of her and, and thinking about the angels and all of this in a town that's not even hers and, and, and all the one mental overload, she just took it all in and embraced it and valued it inside. That was Mary's worship. Here's number four, Simeon. So on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple, and there were some purification rites. He was circumcised as well, and, and here they are in Jerusalem, and they're presenting him to the Lord. And notice verse 25, when they get there, there's this man named Simeon. Verse 25 mentions he was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went in the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. 
And the, and the text mentions a little bit more of what he said to them. But here's Simeon, and, and here he'd been waiting for years and years and years for this promised one. And, and it mentions in his anticipation, he was moved by the Spirit, and he took up this child in his arms. And as he looked at him, he just, he said, praise the Lord. And, the, and I can't believe this. I'm actually holding the promised one. And then here's the big things he said. I can die now. Like, everything I've been waiting for has happened. And then Anna, number five. Number five, Anna. 84 years old she was. Verse 36. She was the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband 70 years, or seven years after marriage. So she lived with her husband seven years, and then he died. And she was all alone all of those years. No marriage until she was 84. She never left the temple. She worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, and coming up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Here she was all of these years waiting for this child and she gave thanks to God for him. She valued him and then once again she told everyone around you, this is incredible. This is what we've been waiting for. The action of worship takes many different expressions and forms. Not once was music or singing mentioned in this passage. Now, I know some of you were thinking, what about the angels? Didn't they sing? Okay. Let me pull this up on my phone. I was looking at this the other day. We know some Christmas songs. Angels we have heard on high. Say it with me, sweetly singing or the plain. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Listen to this one. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Okay, now look at the text for a moment. I'm here to ruin one of your favorite Christmas songs at this very moment. Just another service I provide as your pastor here at East Bay Calvary Church. So check the passage out. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying. Now if your Bible says singing, it's probably because you crossed that out and wrote in singing. Because I have yet to find a translation that says singing. They were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to, to those on whom his favor rests. So the next time you start singing this song, when we get to the song, sweetly singing or the plain, you just substitute sweetly saying or the plain and then make sure everyone around you looks at you oddly. There is no worship of singing or music in this passage. All kinds of other acts of worship, and in fact, I just kind of condensed them in a few ways. These are not in your notes, these are extra for you. I just want you to think about, you know, there was inward celebration that they had. 
Mary had this. She meditated on everything going on. There was so much inward worship happening. And may I suggest that Christmas will not fulfill its purpose if Jesus doesn't mean much to you on the inside. You can sing your lungs out in church. You can contemplate the realities of Christmas. But unless Jesus really means something to you on the inside, real worship doesn't happen. And the party means so much more when you personally know the one for whom it's being thrown. And the party for Jesus must start in our hearts. It's when we realize why he came, that he came as a person to end up sacrificing his life on the cross for our sin. And when we believe that, when we embrace it, folks, when we love Jesus and we understand who he is, there's this inward celebration that happens. That's where real worship begins. Another way our attitudes or expressions of worship develop, there's the inward, there's the outward. We saw this with the angels, the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, they have this. The passage shows us that they gave open outward thanksgiving. No one wondered, I wonder where Simeon and Anna are with this whole Christ child thing. No one said, boy, those shepherds sure seem quiet tonight. They expressed outwardly, here's where we are with Jesus. We are amazed. We are enamored. We can't help but exclaim God's goodness for the gift of his son. And then there's this third element, which is really neat because it's what I like to call party invitations. It was another attitude and expression of worship. There was inward, there was outward, but then there was a, a reach out to other people is when these people were so taken with the gift of Jesus, they told others and invited them to the birthday party of Jesus Christ. They talked about this all the time. They expressed it. It wasn't merely an hour thing on Sunday morning. They were like, you've got to be connected with this thing. This is the way it is. They invited other people to be a part of the celebration of Jesus. This is worship. It's all worship. So Tuesday, uh, we were in our staff meeting, and um, we got talking about how we can express worship. And singing is off limits. We already do that on Sunday. How can we express worship apart from singing? Because really, I want us all to think about giving God the gift of worship this year in ways other than musically, because we'll do that automatically. So in our staff meeting, we came up with a bunch of different ways to express worship, but I want to give you four this morning. These are four ways we can express worship to God. And, and I, would, I would suggest that not only do we think about maybe doing one or two, I would say there are times this whole Christmas season we can do all four, folks. Let's think about it together. Here's number one. Actions to worship Jesus this Christmas. Here's one. I want us all to think about doing this. Number one, have a spirit of service. Have a spirit of service. I really believe people who worship God, people who realize how much he's worth and 
how much less we are worth, they serve. Because of Jesus, who's God, the Bible says he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I, I really believe if he served and he's God, then we who are not God certainly should have a spirit of service. And I know that there's some people that we would say, but they really don't deserve my service. And then the Bible says, but if we worship God, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not people. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, and people that really worship God have a spirit of serving other people. I guarantee you, folks, this Christmas season, you will have multiple opportunities to be a person of service. And in doing exactly that, we will be portraying the very trait that Jesus Christ exemplified when he came to earth to serve, to serve others and not to be served. Here's number two. Not only a spirit of service, Here's another spirit we can give, which is a worshipful expression this Christmas. Number two is have a spirit of gratitude. A spirit of gratitude. One of the hardest verses in all of the Bible to obey is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And here's what it says. In everything, give thanks. I'd be okay if it said give thanks. But it says, in everything? That's not easy, folks. And I realize that the spirit of gratitude is an act of worship because we realize we have been given more than what we deserve. And there's no better fuel for your heart than to be with a thankful person. You ever be with a thankful person and it's like, kind of puts a little pep in your step? You ever be with a complainer? And you realize what that does to you. Reminds me of um, the Scandinavian couple named Sven and Hulda. They were Christians. They sang in the choir. They were at Sunday school every Sunday. They had prayer at every meal. They went to all the church functions, but they could not get along, and home was terrible. There was bickering, there was complaining, there was fussing. And after both of them had devotions one morning, separately, of course, Hulda said to Sven in her accent, you know, Sven, I've been thinking. I got the answer to this hopeless problem we're living with. I think we should pray for the Lord to take one of us home to be with him. And then he does, Sven, then I will go live with my sister. <laughs> Man, being with a complainer just sucks the life out of you. Now, you know, how does this work with worship? Think about this. Nothing says I worship myself quite like complaining. True? Think about it. Well, that doesn't meet my standard. Yeah. This doesn't please me. 
I'm deserving of so much better. My way is the best way. Now, a complainer has a God that must be worshipped but just can't be pleased. And that God is self. The grateful person, however, has a God that is so much greater than them and they see the blessings, they see all God gives, they recognize that God has been generous with them and their regular display of gratitude is just another way that they give due worship to him when they have a life of gratitude and a spirit of gratitude. So number one, serving is a way we can worship God. We serve others. And God is worshiped because he came to serve, not be served. Gratitude is another special attitude of worship where we realize we've been blessed and we are thankful, not showing our displeasure. Here's number three. I love this one. This is the highest one. Of all of them that we give, this is the highest one. It's so true. Imitate him. Imitate him. The highest worship of all. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Have you ever heard that? If you really want to compliment someone, not only say, boy, that's really neat of you, but you try to be like them. And as we imitate Jesus, as we take on his character and his attitude and his actions, if we really do this thing in the way Jesus would do it, that is such an act of worship to God saying, you're the one I want to emulate. You're the one I want to look like. You're the one I want to act like. And our mission here at East Bay Calvary is more and better disciples, more and better followers. And truly, we are making followers, and these followers are to look like Jesus. Our mission is all about worship. When you think about it, Christians are little Christ. We want to make followers of Jesus, and Jesus said it so well personally. He said, if any man would come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow, follow me. We're followers. It's the highest form of worship to imitate him. Mike Harland, author of Seven Words of Worship, says it better than me. Check this one out. He said, measure your worship not at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but 8.30 on Monday morning in the cubicle of your office. When our lives have been transformed by the presence and power of God, your worship works not only on Sunday morning, it works all week long when we imitate him. And here's number four, and we'll finish up with this. There's a spirit of service. There's a spirit of gratitude. There's this imitation of Jesus. And then number four is um, a great way to worship is to share them with others. Nothing says I value you more than I want others to know about you. The last high form of worship that we're going to talk about is the one of the toughest ones to give truly is, telling other people about Jesus, sharing him with others. And if you value someone, if someone means something to you, others are going to know it. And just imagine a man who has a retirement party for him thrown at work. 
he's worked there 40 years and he shows up to his retirement party and he brings his wife. And people say, Kenneth, we, we never knew you were married. What's his wife going to think? Boy, he sure thinks a lot of me, huh? Worked there 40 years, no one knew you were married. And then what if he says this? Well, you know, my, my marriage is just really personal between me and my wife. And no one needs to know anything about it. Really? And I really believe if we value something, we esteem someone, we have this passion and we can't contain it, it's almost, if, if someone just put a pin to me, I'm going to pop, it's going to have to come out one time or another. And we see this in these initial acts of worship that first Christmas, when they had seen him, the shepherds, they spread the word. When Anna saw him, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to him. And I dare say that there's a correlation between the higher the value and worship that we place on something or someone and the level of sharing we give it. I truly believe it. Our passion is to make more worshipers of Jesus, to bring more people to value him, to live in a way that shows it. That's ultimately worship. There's two things that we've been pressing here today and last week that I really want us to think about this Christmas. Number one, spend less. Spend less, people. But sacrifice more. And then number two, let's all show up with the same gift this year. And that's worship. And I will handicap us a little bit. Worship in ways other than just singing. Worship on days other than Sunday. And when we start to do those kinds of things, when we serve and when we're people of gratitude, when we imitate Jesus in the work and when we're shopping and when with our family and at the celebrations that happen, when we share about him, that's when real worship happens. Would you stand with me for a moment? I, I want us to think about a commitment in our heart. The party's all about him. He deserves the gift. Let's all bring the same gift and worship. Let's pray together. God, we worship because you're worth it. And we worship because you've shown your value to us and that you gave all for us when Jesus came to earth, when he gave his body on the cross so those who believe in his death for them will live. We worship you because of who you are. And God, may it be said of East Bay Calvary 
we are a worshiping church and our music is pretty good too. God, may you see something in us. Apart from our singing, but it shows that we value you, that you're great to us. That no one is greater, no one is stronger, and God, you're higher than any other. No one takes the place that you have. May it show up in our living. Lord, I pray, um, be worshipped. May we be committed to it. All these may said.